0: Welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals, the show that teaches you and other busy pros how to grow your wealth so you can live life on your own terms. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Our guest today is Paul Moore. Paul is a prominent real estate investor who owns a company called Wellings Capital, where he helps busy professionals invest in real estate passively. He has an extensive background in real estate investing and entrepreneurship, and he co-hosts an awesome podcast, called How to Lose Money. I'm a big fan of that podcast. You should definitely go look it up. So, Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks,
1: Taylor. It's great to be here, and I'm, I'm really honored that you have me on the show.
0: Very happy to have you on the show. Uh, like I said, I'm a big fan of your podcast, so I, it's, I'm definitely honored to be speaking with you. And if you could, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are now in real estate investing.
1: Oh, Absolutely. So uh, I got an engineering degree, which was my first mistake back in uh, oh the early mid 80s. And uh, then I got an MBA, which uh, landed me at Ford Motor Company on a management development track. And I don't think I was really suited for a big company because I was trying within a month of being there trying to figure out some side business to start. So uh, my buddy and I started a uh, an out, an HR outsourcing company, uh, basically an employee leasing staffing firm, and that got real popular in the till late '90s. And we sold that company to a publicly traded firm. And you know, a lot of people are excited about the in the fire movement are excited about retiring early. But man, being a, a high uh, energy type A entrepreneur and trying to semi retire at 36 was just foolish. And especially if I had no, since I had no plan, I, I tried to start a nonprofit organization. I thought I was investing. I was actually speculating uh, along the way. You know, the difference is if you're investing, uh, investing is when your principal is generally safe and you have a chance to make a return. And speculating is when your principal is generally uh, at risk and you have a chance to make a return. And so I, I lost a lot of money along the way. I made some money too. And uh, started flipping houses, then got, in, got into uh, flipping waterfront lots, did a subdivision, built some houses, uh, built a quasi-hotel, quasi-multifamily in North Dakota, and uh, developed a, a marketing business, marketed uh, man camps in North Dakota, which was actually quite profitable during, during the oil boom, and also um, a residential real estate which I still have a website that throws off leads to residential realtors every day. And um, and at, at some point, I realized, yeah, I'm in my 50s. I don't want to lose money anymore. And so uh, I decided to dial way down on my development type activities and uh, wanted to do class B value add multifamily. And I decided in my arrogance, I guess that that was the perfect investment perfect risk return um, type balance and so I actually wrote a book with that name a couple of years ago called the Perfect investment and uh, that brings me to where i 'm at today i 've got a couple partners and we 're syndicating multifamily and now we're also syndicating self storage deals
0: great and if folks wanted to check out your book, where could they get a copy uh, The perfect
1: investment is available. Very- available on, and it's also available at my website, wellingscapital.com.
0: Great. So you mentioned you syndicate multifamily, but now you're syndicating self-storage. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, many of our listeners will be familiar with syndication already, and for those that aren't, we have episodes that are exclusively dedicated to the basics of syndication. So if you don't know the basics, then I suggest you go back and listen to those. But for now, for everyone that has a basic understanding of what syndication is, why have you shifted asset classes more recently? You know,
1: we've been, like I said, you get tired of losing money and I didn't want to be uh, on uh, a, in a situation where I was in my 50s, 60s, 70s and couldn't work anymore for whatever reason. And I didn't want to be on the downside of one of those investments gone bad. And I had some of those certainly, and every entrepreneur I know has. And um, so I really decided that I wanted to get into something that was safe, stable, reliable, had a demographic trends that would uh, allow me to look, you know, decades into the future and predict. This is something that, you know, I think is going to be something that's it's going to be still viable. And you know, Warren Buffett said in general he doesn't invest in the internet because um, he wants to to be in something he knows where he has more likely, that has more likelihood of where it'll be in a couple decades. He said the internet will never change the way people chew gum. And, um, I thought about that and I thought, you know, that's, I, 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 what multifamily, you know, I believe that the apartments that are being built and have been built the last, you know, decades, several decades will still be in use in general, uh, a hundred years from now. You know, I don't, I just think people are always going to need apartments. They may look different. They may, uh, have a lot of different gadgets and features, but I think generally apartments will still be around. And so, I was so excited. I plowed into it and spent the last several months with my risk tolerance being so low. We have had a very, very hard time finding deals that made sense for us and for our investors. We just didn't want to overpay. And the problem is the market has just been going up and up and up over the last several years. And so in frustration in the last year, I turned and said, okay, well, I'm going to look at something else. And I found out something, and that is that self-storage, there are 53,000 self-storage facilities in the U.S., Taylor, and that's as many as Starbucks, um, uh, Subway, and McDonald's combined. Yet, about 75 to 80% are run and owned by small companies and and mom-and-pop operators. And some of those are in a great path of growth, but they're not run well. They're not marketed well. They don't have a lot of the uh, additional uh, value-add type items like U-Haul and boxes, scissors, tape. Um, They have land to build on. What I... There are opportunities to acquire a self-storage at, let's say, a, the same price, relative price, I should say, as a multifamily. But there's a lot more runway to improve them in a lot of ways. And it's exactly the opposite of what I would think. You know, I thought, well, it's just a box. It's a metal box with a concrete floor and a roof. How could I, where's the kitchen upgrades and where's the bathroom upgrades and the carpet and the hardwood floor and the paint? We don't have any of that. But there's actually probably more multifamily upgrade, excuse me, self-storage upgrade opportunities than there are multifamily at this point in the cycle. And that's when I realized, hey, I'm going to branch out and look into this. And I've been pleasantly surprised at the returns and the, uh, the, the ability to find um, assets in this highly fragmented market of self-storage.
0: That's very interesting. And, and, you know, demographic trends across the country are certainly, you know, things are growing, but, you know, I believe, and, and you can certainly add your input here, but I believe that all real estate is local. So where are you doing deals these days in the country?
1: Well, you know, that's really another interesting thing. And that is in in multifamily, we really wanted to be in these really high growth markets like Raleigh, North Carolina, Charlotte, Greenville, um, places like Atlanta, Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio. And we were really, really rigid with our, we don't want to go to small towns and all that. And what we found, and we have done some other towns that have, you know, decent growth, like Lexington, Kentucky. But What we found is for self-storage, you don't have, I'm not saying all that's out the window, but I am saying there are a completely different set of criteria used in evaluating a location for self-storage and there are criteria like this. Across the U.S. on average, there's about seven square feet of self-storage per man, woman, and child in a three to five. There's a ring and say, okay, is this a possible location for self-storage? Naples, Florida, for example, a friend of mine drew a ring around a certain part of Naples and realized in a five-mile radius there was zero self-storage. Wow. So he found a piece of land. He built self-storage there had ma- It was massively popular, and he was able to sell it. Investors made like a four x return in two years if i 'm not mistaken and of course, leverage in syndication is what allows any syndication to get those kind of massive returns um, but uh, that 's another story but anyway, for as far as self storage we 're looking at places with high visibility on roads with high traffic count in rings that have less than, let's say, seven square feet of self-storage per person. And that varies. Like in Florida, it might be Florida, Texas, California, because they don't have basements, uh, they don't use their app much. It might be more like 10 square feet per person. Places like the Midwest, like Ohio, Wisconsin, et cetera, they almost all have basements and it might be less than seven square feet per person. So you got to look at the specific area. But self-storage has opened up all kinds of opportunities that where I wouldn't have bought apartments.
0: That's very interesting. And I hear a lot of folks that are working in that space right now that uh, do say that they're able to find deals as well. Uh, in self storage where they can't in multifamily for one reason or another, so as far as you know for the for the listeners that are potentially interested in being a you know using this as part of their passive wealth strategy and potentially getting involved, whether with you or say anybody else out there that 's syndicating self storage you know how can they get started in terms of maybe finding syndicators, understanding the deals, evaluating deals? You know What would be maybe the first two, three steps that someone should take?
1: Well, I have a list of seven ways to get into multifamily or self-storage, and we won't go over those here. But one of those ways is to be a passive investor, of course. And investing passively has at least two paths that I can think of. One would be If you plan to invest once or twice, find a great deal sponsor uh, and invest with them. Go meet with them face to face, pull their crime and credit scores, get get to know them, Google them, get to know them really well, and then consider investing with them and trusting them on the deals they choose. Now, the other type is a really active type of passive investor, which means you learn in great detail how to uh, analyze the demographics how to analyze the location, how to analyze the financials. And you not only look at the syndicator, but you also dial down and look at each individual deal. For example, our company uh, and our investors in, in uh, Bradenton, Florida uh, recently, and we were really happy to do that. But they had another deal after that, that it was in a uh, an area that had a lot of hurricanes. And we just felt a little hesitant to invest there, so we actually the numbers looked incredible, but um, we were just a little more concerned, and we thought our investors might be concerned about the hurricane risk. So, those are the two ways to do that. As far as finding those great syndicators, um, hmm, I would say perhaps check out Self Storage Academy. The Self Storage Academy is not only a great place to get a preliminary or even a deeper education about self-storage investing, but it's also a place to find uh, deals uh, if you get involved with them. And there's a great guy named Scott Myers who runs the Self-Storage Academy, and um, I really recommend that uh, people check that out. That's the best place I know to get self-storage education.
0: Absolutely. I think as a passive investor, it's just as important to get educated as it is if you're going to be an active investor so you can evaluate the deals on your own and then you know these the the best deals aren't exactly just out there waiting to be invested in you need to go find the folks that are doing those deals and like you said the best way to find them is going straight to the place where they get educated and you can get educated as well so i I think that's a great idea yeah right so as someone you know you you sold a company to ford you've had success in multiple businesses over the years my guess is you don't need to work anymore so why are you still working to put it bluntly what what keeps what gets you up in the morning
1: you know i appreciate that question and i really do enjoy work they they asked me on the bigger pockets podcast what's your hobbies and uh, I struggle a little because I really love spending time with my family, but I'm also very, and, and I, I don't have a lot of hobbies that I enjoy. I mean, I like windsurfing, but I don't do it very often, uh, but I really do enjoy work. And one of the reasons I enjoy it is I've got a crazy goal, and that is I want to plow a billion dollars, not just from me, but from my influence and from opportunities like this to talk to people like you, Taylor, and on this podcast I want to uh, plow a billion dollars into fighting human trafficking and rescuing its victims. I don't know if you've heard the depth of this problem, but uh, if you took the record profits, not average, but the record profits of Starbucks, Nike, General Motors, and Apple, added those numbers together, doubled those record profits, doubled that total, that's about the annual revenue that they believe is being generated by human trafficking right now. It's a serious, serious problem, Taylor. And I like to believe that if I was alive in the 1800s, I would have been an abolitionist. I'd have been fighting In the 1960s. I would have been fighting for civil rights. Well, this is slavery, and this is a civil right that 's been ripped from tens of millions of people across the globe and the impact on one child, one girl is as high as half a million dollars a year in revenue to their slave owner and it 's not okay and so I plan to spend uh, you know as much time as possible over the next forty six years of my life to fight human trafficking and rescue its victims. By the way, the 46 years comes from the fact I'm 54 and I assume I'll be doing this till I'm 100. So uh, anyway, (laughs) that's my big why. And I've got other big whys, including, you know, doing other things to impact the world for good. But that's one of the big ones for sure.
0: Wow, that's a great cause. And, you know, as someone that's on the outside of that, you know, folks might be tempted to say, well, that's not happening here, is it? Is it? Is it happening here in the U.S.? I mean, you and I are both in Virginia, so we could say, is it happening in Virginia?
1: You know, Judith, Dr. Judith Reisman, R-E-I-S-M-A-N, has written books on this. She's been on to this since the 70s, since before it was ever probably called human trafficking. She's probably the foremost expert on human trafficking, and I just met with her recently, and she said, and, and I'm thinking of another guy now in uh, California, Greg D'Angelo, who's fighting trafficking. Uh, they, they've they said, you know, it's really hard to figure out how much is going on in the U.S. It is absolutely happening. You know, some people say it's like one out of every 200 people in the U.S. And other people say it's one out of th- tens of thousands. I don't know how many it is, but it is happening. And anybody uh, on this... Uh, who's listening to this podcast, who lives near a major highway, whether it's I-70, I-10, whatever it is, you probably have heard stories of it happening in and near your town. And um, it is. It's happening. But the good news is and there are people who are rising up and saying, this is great evil, and we won't stand for it. One thing I'm doing is I'm actually on the board of a group called Freedom Place, freedomplaceproject.com is our website and we are actually planning to build a billion dollar office complex. The prototype will be in Dallas, that'll be the first one, and our goal is to I mean actually we are going to donate 100% of the syndicators of the developers profit to fight human trafficking and rescue its victims and then that'll be a prototype to do it in many other cities across the US. So um, we expect to give away a hundred million or more per office um, to do to fight trafficking.
0: Wow that's really incredible if folks want to get involved you know learn more all that good stuff what's a what are a couple of good resources I mean you said freedomplaceproject.com is your website. Are there any others that you would recommend that uh, people check out?
1: Yeah there's really nothing to do with freedom except go look at what we're doing. We're not asking for money or anything because we're going to be a developer. But um, yeah, check out Exodus Cry. That's E-X-O-D-U-S-C-R-Y, exoduscry.com. And they've got an incredible movie, which was the eye-opening moment in my life on this. And the movie is called Nefarious or Nefarious, however you want to say it. And that movie, that film is, um, it's gut-wrenching. And there are actually at least five other films out on human trafficking as well. So you can find some of those on Netflix and Amazon Prime.
0: Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that, Paul. Uh, We certainly appreciate that here. And we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Want daily interviews with real estate investors and none of the fluff? Go to bestevershow.com where Joe Fairless interviews daily real estate investors and entrepreneurs about their best advice ever. Go to bestevershow.com. So, Paul, what is the best investment that you've ever made personally?
1: Uh, How much time do you have? I can tell you about the worst (laughs) and the best of the same story. Um, Great. I I bought a five-acre piece of waterfront property, 5.3 acres, at Smith Mountain Lake in Virginia, and uh, it happened to have a little over 500 feet of waterfront and a little over... Uh, 500 feet of road frontage, which meant it had all three criteria to divide it into five waterfront lots. And I paid, um, you know, something like 800000 for it. I'm not sure exactly how much right now. And uh, we were going to divide it into five lots. We thought we could sell for an average of 450000 each. The problem was it wasn't on a state-maintained road. And we presumptively in the kind of fervor of buying waterfront property back between 01 and 05, we just went ahead and said, ah, we'll work it out. <laughs> and so we got a almost hundred percent loan on that and found out later we were not able to subdivide it and it turned into the worst investment I'd ever made because what happened is we rode that very high interest loan into the great recession. And so I found myself, and actually the recession hit D.C. area long, long before it hit most of the rest of the U.S. And uh, Smith Mountain Lake in Virginia was dependent partly on the D.C. market. So I brought my family together in December of 2007, and I said, hey, we're $2.5 million in debt, including this monstrosity for like 860000 of debt we had on that. My partner just uh, left because he said he couldn't make interest payments anymore. and I understood that. I said, let's try to, let's try a crazy radical experiment. Let's try giving our way out of debt. And my two friends and my five family members looked at me like I was crazy. um, And uh, I said, let's give our way out of debt. Let's just start giving radically and generously and see what happens. So we did that starting January 1st, 2008. We acted, pretended like we had half a million dollars in income which we ended like we had uh, all kinds of excess money to give. And we started giving really generously to charities and church we were involved in. And we uh, four weeks into that, I met a real estate developer at a Subway restaurant and um, started chatting with him. And he said, hey, have you ever tried dividing that five acres using this law? And I said, oh, no, 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 that wouldn't work. We tried that. He said, no, take another look at it. There might be a loophole in there. Take another look. And I looked, and uh, like, it was this light bulb moment. And I went before the planning and zoning people two days later in the county and said, hey, can we use your law that says I cannot subdivide to actually subdivide? (laughs) And the lady pulled her glasses down over her nose. She said something like, I've been working here for decades. Nobody has ever come up with such an outrageous idea. And she smiled a little, and she said, yes, you found a loophole. No one else has ever found it that we know of, and um, so I subdivided that land. And in the very depth and the cratering of the Great Recession, which was September of, of two thousand eight, I mean that's when everything was. Everybody was in a panic. I sold those five lots for a very large profit, and it turned from the worst real estate deal I'd ever done into the best. And we actually went from two and a half million dollars in debt to debt free in thirteen months. Wow, that is something. Yeah, it was amazing. And so it speaks to the power of, you know, I mean people in other religions other than mine <laughs> call it karma. Uh I would call it the law of sowing and reaping, giving and receiving, whatever you want to call it. I really believe it's a universal law and uh you know, I don't believe it's automatic, but I believe it certainly worked in this case.
0: Wow, well, that is a great example. Who is a top educator that you've learned from? You mentioned uh, Scott Myers from the Self-Storage Academy, but I'd like if we could touch on another one, if you have another one.
1: Absolutely. So I believe strongly if somebody wants to go into this more than passively, that they ought to find a mentor. And so uh, I really like Michael Blank, B-L-A-N-K. And there's a lot of other educators out there that are great. And I really like 37th. Parallel. 37th Parallel was my multifamily mentor. It's not cheap, but I learned very, very thoroughly how to evaluate every single aspect, not only of multifamily, but of syndication. And so um, really, uh, those, those have been great resources.
0: That's very interesting that the, you know, Michael Blanc can be found at themichaelblanc.com. And then, uh, 37th parallel, they're actually located in Richmond, Virginia, where I am. I don't know if they have any other offices, but, uh, both of, and so is Michael Blanc. So everyone, (laughs) all four of us are, uh, are located in Virginia. That's pretty funny. You
1: know, that's interesting because, um, you know, I, I could have worked with 37th parallel or Michael if I wasn't, you're right. They both happen to be in, uh, Virginia.
0: Yeah, it's uh it's quite something, you know. I was just talking with someone earlier today in fact, uh, most people don't realize that four of the top 10 highest earning counties in the United States are in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Mostly northern Virginia, but um it's pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah, you know, I know Fairfax
1: and Loudoun County must be two of those, but I don't know what the other ones are. I
0: recall Stafford and the fourth one isn't coming to mind. but oh, okay. Yeah.
1: No, it's amazing. And you know, by the time this podcast airs, we might know where the new Amazon facility is. And my money is on Northern Virginia.
0: That would be definitely something. You know, we may well know. Who knows? They seem to be taking their sweet time with it. I don't know if they've put a date on it yet at this point, have they?
1: Some people say it's going to be the end of October 2018.
0: Wow. Um, Well, I have some investments in Atlanta, so I'm really pulling for Atlanta.
1: Atlanta has a shot. You know, there's some other ones that have really,
0: but um, yeah, I think Atlanta would be my second choice. Yeah. Wow. So, Paul, where is the best place for our listeners to get in touch with you?
1: You know, they can uh, just go to our website and fill out a form there. It's called Welling's capital.com. That's W E L L I N G S capital.com. Great. They can also buy my book, uh, the perfect investment on Amazon.
0: And uh, that's also on our website. Cool. And we will put a link to that book right in the show notes. So folks just click on that and we'll take you right to Amazon. Paul, thanks for joining us today on the call and and being on Passive Wealth Strategies for busy professionals. I certainly encourage everyone to to reach out to you and uh, have a conversation.
1: Fantastic. Thank you, Taylor, for letting me uh, be a guest and uh, look forward to chatting with you more in the future.
0: Absolutely. Take care. Thanks.